what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. You have to say yes to everything. You have to work your ass off and that it's what it takes. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that gets into the nitty gritty of the often untold teenage and young adult experiences of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I am Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend, Gashia Rosenberg. Today, I am beyond thrilled for you to meet entrepreneur and expert brow artist, mega babe, Alexandria Caparelli. Alex is the founder of Harry Little Things Salon, with locations in West Hollywood, Newport Beach, and Costa Mesa. Harry Little Things is known as the place where 90s brows go to die, and it couldn't be more true. Gone are the days of those non-existent, drawn-in lines. HLT celebrates fluffy, healthy, and perfectly shaped brows. Passionate and dedicated to her craft, Alex has over 11 years of experience as a true makeup, brow, and beauty artist. Alex's work can be seen on the red carpet, in magazines, and on TV. She's worked with Teddy Mellencamp, Gwyneth Paltrow, Joanna Krupa, Paris Hilton, Whitney Port, and Catherine McVie, just to name a few. She earned her aesthetic license in 2010 and then a microblading certification, which led to the creation of her signature brow fluff look. In 2017, with her beauty knowledge, education, business experience, and connections in the beauty industry, Alex chose Los Angeles to follow her heart and launch her first salon, Harry Little Things. She has since opened two additional salons. Harry Little Things employs several artists and it specializes in brow microblading, shaping, lamination, henna, and more, and also permanent lip makeup and lash services. Harry Little Things branding is gorgeous, uplifting, and a little sassy, so you have to go take a look at her website, which will be linked in our show notes, if you haven't already been into a salon. Alex, we're so thrilled that you're joining us here today with an adorable toddler boy at home and countless trainings and appointments at multiple locations. You are a busy woman. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. What an intro. Well, there's a lot to say about you. <laughs> you have done so much in a really short amount of time, it seems, all while starting a family and you do it with such grace. I've obviously gone to you for my brows which I'm really particular about. But one thing that really attracted me to your services and your brand was just how cohesive everything is. You really have a vision, a brand, a feel to everything that you do, and it translates to the service that you provide. So I'm so excited to get into it today and learn more about how everything started for you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's been a whirlwind, that's for sure. And now with the whole new layer of being a mom, which you are a professional at. You know, yeah, it's been crazy. <laughs> it's been psychotic. Yeah. Well, I just love it because I think it's it's such a privilege for us to dive in and hear, especially with some of our entrepreneur stories, we like to hear about the best and how it's different every day and, you know, the bumps and boogies along the road and and how you've managed those. So I'd love to, before we get into all that, I'd love to go back as far as you can remember to when you were a little girl and kind of what you were like back then, what it was like to where you grew up and, and what you were into. Awesome. Yeah. So I grew up in Orange, California. So a little bit inland of where we live now by the coast. That's where I grew up and I am one of three. So I'm the oldest. So I've always been a little bit bossy. My mom was always a serious go-getter, hard worker, and my dad as well. So my dad always worked the graveyard shift growing up, and my mom would work during the day while my dad would watch me. So I just saw a very serious work ethic in my childhood, and I think that's definitely something that I took with me, you know, in my adult years, and something that stuck with me and that I want to also show my baby. But yeah, growing up, I was definitely a spunky little kid. Uh, my parents will say I was a little, you know, could be a little aggressive, a little bossy. Not a lot has changed there, <laughs> but I've always been artistic. So I remember, bless my dad's heart, my dad is like such a safe guy. And I love him for that because he gives me that like 
traditional moral compass, but I always wanted to be an artist growing up. Like I remember I was always, you know, partaking in like the art competitions at school and doing all that stuff. Like my favorite course when I went to community college for two semesters was art history. And I was like, what am I doing here? But anyway, so I always wanted to be an artist. And I remember my dad being like, artists don't make money. And that just didn't sit well with me. And I was like, I'm going to find a way. I don't know how. But he was always, you know, adamant that I go to a four-year college and I become a serious student. And that just like was not me at all. And then on the flip side, my mom was, she's more like me where she, you know, she went to college for a little bit and then she dropped out and just decided to pursue her career. And I saw that that was possible with my mom. And I just decided to follow in her footsteps. I always had a passion for creating. That was something that I loved. I loved the instant gratification as I started my career as a makeup artist. That's what I started with before I even became an esthetician. And just that transformation, like you literally see something come to life right before your eyes. And I was just so passionate about that. I wanted to follow that. I wanted to lean into that. I was the girl at school that was hustling. Like I was always, you know, doing everybody's makeup for the school dances. But yes, they were my friends, but I was charging them. I was like, I need to do my own makeup for the dance too. So I was always the girl doing everybody's makeup, getting everybody ready. And then my mom's also in the beauty industry as well. And she always was when I was growing up. So this was very influential for me. She actually started with Urban Decay Corporate. Okay. And I remember begging her to let me play hooky for school so I could come with her to work and just play in the warehouse. Like this was my heaven, you guys. Like I loved makeup and my mom's a hippie. Like she doesn't wear makeup. If anything, she wears bronzer and puts it on with a big fluffy brush all over her face. I'm like, mom, what are you doing? She wouldn't wear any of it. So she would get all this gratis from Urban Decay and she would bring it home and I would just play. So that's kind of how the whole makeup thing got started. I love that's the best kind of explanation because I think that when we think of our childhoods and stuff, it is it's kind of stream of consciousness and a little this, a little that. And it goes a different way every time you bring it up. And I love that. So you're the oldest of three. Can you tell me a little bit about your siblings and kind of your relationships with them? Yeah. So we have an interesting sibling dynamic because my parents had me when they were very young. So my mom got pregnant when she was 20. And then I'm almost eight years older than my sister because my mom and dad just kind of met. They actually, I was created at a B-52s concert in Mexico. Love it. So I think they got their little crazy phase out of the way. And they're like, okay, we need to wait. We need to get our shit together. We need to build a foundation. We have a baby now. So they waited seven and a half years to have my sister. So my sister's 23 and we're super close. We're getting closer now as we get older because it it does suck. Like I was away at school when, you know, she was going through her more, you know, pivotal points in life. So I do have some guilty conscience about that, but she doesn't hold it against me. And then my brother, I'm 12 years older than my brother. He's 19 years old. So I'm almost like a mom sister to him. And I love him. He's a total free spirit, just like my mom, more of like a hippie. And my sister, she actually was working for me for a little bit. She definitely has the beauty bug as well. And she just had a baby as well. That's so cool that you guys have been able to like experience that together too. I know you and I talked when you were doing my brows about how my sister and I had babies right around the same time. And it's just such a um, special thing to experience as a sister. For sure. Absolutely. And I think because of our age gap that it's bringing us closer. Totally. So when your mom had you when she was 20, what was like kind of your relationship with her? Do you feel like as you got into your teen years, did she feel more like kind of a friend and mom? Because I feel like a lot of my friends with the younger moms, it was sort of a cool, sometimes cool, sometimes not, but like a, a different kind of relationship with a really young mom. Yeah. I mean, I definitely grew up with my mom. So she got pregnant with me when she was 20, but she actually had me when she was 21, but still a baby. You know, we've had a a rocky road, but she's one of my best friends. And now that I'm older and I can kind of take myself outside of certain parts of my childhood, I just know that she was doing the best that she can. And I love her for that. But, you know, it comes with 
you know, some turbulence along the way when she, my parents are also divorced now. So when they went through the divorce, it was like, we have kids so young and then you lose your childhood. So I feel like as she went through the divorce, she kind of wanted to go back and relive some of the things that she missed out on. So that's tough. But now, you know, I'm in my thirties and I, I understand. I don't think that it was right. And now that I'm a mom, I do have a little bit of resentment about that. And she knows this stuff. Um, it's stuff that we've talked about, but I also know that she was doing the best that she can. And, you know, once you become a mom, it just, you have a little bit more grace for those certain situations because you can see how things happen like that. We just, we did, um, Kishia and I have been doing these kind of conversational episodes in this season on different topics that our listeners, Mm -hmm. you know, have questions about. And we did one on motherhood and we both kind of connected to that idea that like, since we've become mothers, it's a, it's a hard thing to like, look at your parents and be like, oh, like you aren't perfect. Like you, you, you know, aren't like the one correct, you know, voice necessarily anymore in my life. Now I've grown up. But also you you look at how hard it is to be a parent and how many question marks there are and how much just figuring it out along the way we have to do. Even if you've read every book and you've asked every opinion, it's just, it's really hard. And you're, you're brand new at it the first time around, especially. It's uh, really something you can only learn, I think, when you're, you're going through it or something similar to it. A mom, you just have to go through it. Yeah. And especially if you're not planning to have a child and you get pregnant when you're 20 years old, it's like, it's just a completely different scenario, you know, and in your thirties, you're like, I planned my son. So I knew that what I was getting into. And for me, like becoming a new mom, I would say the hardest thing for me was like losing my freedom. And I knew that I would. Mm -hmm. So it's so weird. It's like mind boggling to me. But as soon as like, you can't just go get your nails done or go to the gym or read a book or whatever. Like you don't realize like how crazy it is that you don't have any freedom anymore. Like your main job is to take care of your baby. And it's funny because I kind of, I had the same experience. Like we were very much on board. I had thought about having a kid forever. You know, I have two now, but you know, once it happened, it wasn't even that like, oh, I want my freedom. Like I need help. Like even with help, it's like the mm-hmm. um, mental freedom. I feel like I realized I'm like, even if I have the most wonderful childcare and supportive partner, I'm like, my brain space will never not be occupied yeah. by them and what they're doing. And it just leaves, it makes you kind of feel, and I think this will just be this way forever now. Like I'm running on multiple tracks at once for life, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's so burnout nice to, mode. Totally. It's nice <laughs> to connect with other moms. I think that was another like blessing of motherhood that I wasn't really anticipating, like how much I would really lean on my friends that were moms and how much I would just learn about like just the grace of women in general and that we're all everybody has something, you know, that that is difficult mm-hmm. for us, especially when we're going through something like motherhood. But just as women growing up in general, it's to me has been very uplifting to to realize that sense of community, especially over like the last like decade of life between your 20s and 30s. You know, when you were saying that she she had you when she's 21, we work with, you know, all sorts of groups of girls. We've worked with um, like high school girls, but also closely with girls that are sort of transitioning either from college into the real world or kind of mid-college, those early 20s. And just so much change happens in your life. I feel like with every five years, really, it's like big leaps and bounds. So I can only imagine like, you know, going, even if she was trying her very, very best, it's like, you're also personally growing so much. It's kind of like you're a child next to your child in a way. One of the biggest things that I always told my sister, and even though it's such a blessing that she has a baby now, she's only 23. She knew she wanted to have a baby though. So she would talk to me about it before she got pregnant. And I just told her, I'm like, Katie, I was a different person every single year in my twenties. And it's true. And I also think creatives, especially like makeup artists and hairstylists and those types tend to be a little bit more on the crazy side. But yeah, I was just, I was wild. I was crazy. And every single year I was someone new. And I feel like until I was like 28, 29 is when I really just was confident in who I was. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that. I feel like I'm a creative in another space, especially those first five years of my twenties. I was like, I was just trying things on. You know, like, am I this girl? Like, am I, yeah, am I this totally. girl? You know, doing it. 
safely. Like I made it through those years, but like, I definitely think that like so much of my identity was just shaped by like testing things and then having them not be for me. Testing. So let's bring it back to kind of those school years and even like puberty time. Like what did you kind of, because I know you were talking about like the guilt of not being at home with your sister when she was going through those pivotal mm-hmm. years. So tell me a little bit about like what mm-hmm. would you, if you could pinpoint like an age for yourself that was maybe the most pivotal and or like stressful and uncomfortable, what would it be and why? Yeah. Um, so like I was saying, I I don't want to say that I had a bad bad childhood because I didn't and I never went without. My parents did the best that they could. But when they decided to get divorced, I would definitely say that thing and a little bit before, maybe one to two years before they actually got the divorce when they were, you know, they weren't vibing anymore. Nothing was really working. They were fighting a lot. And they were just gone a lot. So I feel like as a young adolescent teenager, you that's 14 on. If you have girls, stay very close to your girls because I was always a good kid. I always had family around. I always did well in school. But then around that 14 mark is when, you know, my parents were gone a lot. I was in high school and I was just I turned into a party girl because I didn't have any supervision. And my mom was always traveling for work, building a life for us. And, you know, my dad was with his friends and he did the best that he could. But I definitely was partying a lot and I just kind of lost my way. I just totally was rebelling. I moved in with my best friend and bless her, but it's not her and her mom's job to take care of me. And normal parents shouldn't allow their kid to just like move out. And so um, because my best friend's mom wasn't my mom, she's not going to tell me what to do, you know. So things just got a little murky. Things got weird. And I just was ditching school all the time. I was writing myself notes to get out of school. I'll never forget. There was one day when my girlfriend was leaving school and I didn't have a note. And I literally laid on the back seat floor of her car. (laughs) so stupid we're pulling out of high school like thinking that nobody's gonna know and the security always checks the cars yeah he sees me down there and he's like what the fuck is this like (laughs) you're cool why are you lying on the floor there's so many things wrong with this situation right you're stupid like i'm not gonna see you um and just things like that you know i I definitely had a little stint with like some pills that was happening and it's fine like I definitely had this moment with my counselor. He pulled me in. He knew that things just weren't good. And his punishment, and I love him for this. So thank you so much for doing this, Coach O. But basically, my punishment was, even though it's not a punishment, it's the biggest blessing, was to be the TA for the special needs class. So that was such a great and cool experience that I'm so thankful for because it changed my life. Like I was brought back down to the earth and like humbled and, you know, I was just wrapped up in my own shit and I didn't care about anybody else. And I hate to say that because I'm so not that person, but when you're so young and you don't, you don't even know who you are or what you're doing and you just want attention and love and you're not getting that, you just act out. So When I became the TA for the special needs class, it was definitely one of the coolest experiences for me because, like I said, it just humbled me. And I'm so thankful for that because that was such like a turning point in my life. And I was literally like going to fail out of high school. And and it's not because I wasn't smart because that's just not what it was. I just wasn't showing up. I wasn't applying myself. And yeah, so turned my act around got back on track and I really accredit it all to that. So that is definitely a big, big moment in my life that I'm super thankful for. And after that, I was like, I need to work hard because of my parents so much, but they're dealing with their own stuff and they're not dealing with me. And I just had to grow up at that point. So I was like, if I want to be, you know, a low life, then I can do it, but I don't want to be that. So for me, that was the moment when I was like, I need to get my shit together. 
That is so amazing. I mean, what a, what a gift and kind of a foresight to be able to see that that would be the thing that mm-hmm. you needed. I mean, Keisha and I were just talking about this. It's like, it happens like when we're young adults, especially because I think that teenagers we're going through like hormonal shifts and stuff. We're programmed to think that like we are the center of the universe and we mm-hmm. were as kids, like honestly, you know, we need constant care and attention as children to mm-hmm. stay alive. So it's yeah. like in the teen years, you're kind of going through this shift where it's like, all right, well, maybe the world doesn't revolve around me, but you don't really realize that yet. But I think that throughout life, like even there have been moments as adults that we were, we were talking about this, like anytime that you're so just like fixated just on yourself mm-hmm. and you're looking just like me, 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 what do I want? What do I need? And not like there isn't something that you're plugged into that's like service in some capacity. I feel like people just run into trouble. You know, it's like, that's kind of the center of addiction of all these different like bad habits and tendencies. It's like we're for so just internally focused. So what a cool thing to really bring you back down to earth. And then also, I mean, you're, you're a business owner now and being able to manage, especially young people with, with special needs. I mean, to really have patience and be like aware and, and listening for feedback and giving, you know, the, your class, like what they, what they need. Is such good training for for really any interaction managing people later in life. Yes, it was the biggest blessing that has ever happened. So, so thankful for that. It was like such a great thing. I, even though at the time I was like, why? Yeah, I don't want to do this. I'm busy, you know? Yes, but I'm still yeah. thankful. So good. I'm always curious about these these moments, like at turning points like that. What was the first thing that you kind of did? Like if you could put yourself back in your shoes and thinking, you know, you're interacting with these kids and you're like, all right, I got to, I got to get it together. What was like the first thing that you did to kind of set yourself straight? Well, first I think just, you know, having like empathy and like you said, getting outside of yourself because up until that point I was acting out because of my parents and I was upset and I had all these big feelings that I didn't know how to deal with. Therapy wasn't a thing then, you know. Not like it is today. So we definitely needed therapy at that time. So many different things happened. There's other stuff that like we don't have to get into, but like family dynamic with my dad's best friend, like all this weird, crazy stuff that just like flipped, turned my life upside down. And I was just acting out in a really negative way. And when I started working with these amazing kids, I was just like, I'm so lucky and I'm so fortunate and I want to help these kids because they need it. They are called special needs for a reason. They are special and God bless them. And, you know, you can definitely learn from them as well as they can learn from you. So I think just having more empathy was like the number one thing. And then just realizing like, I need to, I need to shape my shit up. So I think after that, just getting my school back on track like I still to this day have like nightmares that I'm like ditching school on end and I'm like not gonna graduate like this because I there was no reason for that go to a public high school is like the easiest thing in the world like literally one job (laughs) it's like just show up (laughs) like I don't even know what I learned but like it's the easiest thing in the world and you just like you said you just need to show up so just like getting back on track with you know first graduating high school and then I think the second thing was just my friends I love my friends and I'm still friends with some of them but there were a lot of them that I needed to cut ties with you know you are the you know you are the first five people that you hang out with and that's like such a true thing and I can you know attest to that so I think just kind of changing who I hung out with putting my head down and just like focusing a little bit more And then when I graduated high school, I was like, I need to get out of here. So that was kind of the next step. I just needed to get out of there. I didn't want to be in my hometown anymore. Everybody in my hometown, they're like townies. Yeah. Like you live there, you grew up there. All of the family members know each other. Their dads went to high school together. Like I was like, I just have to get out of here because I just want more than this for myself. So I went to San Francisco. And even though I just went to community college there, that was like the best thing that I could have done because I just needed to get away. I needed to get away. I needed a fresh start for my friends. And that was where I decided to 
go. And it was close enough, but far enough at that time. So it didn't feel so, so scary, but I learned a lot about myself. And it's so funny because as a kid, you don't realize like you have to buy toilet paper. Yeah. Like these little things that nobody tells you. You're like, oh, toilet paper doesn't just like show up in the bathroom. Yeah. So just stupid stuff like that. And then I decided to go to beauty school up there. And that was that was it. Did you know, like as you're going through high school and transitioning to your community college, did you did you have like an idea of what you wanted to do career wise? Were you like thinking that far ahead or were you kind of just what was in front of you? Yeah, I always wanted to be a makeup artist. So like even in high school, I was the girl that would wear like a sweatshirt and like shorts and I would show up and like a green smoky eye was like fake glam. Everybody's like, what is this? Like, who who do you think you are? This is today's creation. (laughs) Days I would wear no makeup, but other days I was like full beat down. And I just, I always had a passion for makeup. Um, So definitely I always wanted to be a makeup artist. That was like my goal in life. When you thought of that or you had that, that role in your head, what did you kind of envision it as? And when you first became a makeup artist, like what was similar to that and what was like not similar at all to what you had in mind. Yeah. So I always wanted to be a makeup artist for movies. Like that was my goal. And then when I moved to San Francisco, finished beauty school, I met a makeup artist who she came in. I was working at Sephora at the time and I was beauty studio captain, which at the time I was like, oh my God, beauty studio captain. But she came in and she was like, do my makeup. I didn't know who she was. So I was like, okay, great. Because when you're doing someone's makeup, you're doing what you actually love to do at Sephora, not sell product. Because none of those girls are there just to sell product. They love makeup. So I do this lady's makeup and she's like, hey, I have a job this week and I need an assistant. Can you be my assistant? So this is how I met this lady. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Went and assisted her. And then we did a few odd jobs together and she actually moved to New York. And so we stayed in contact. She was like, yeah, like I would always check in with her. How's it going? Like, I love all your work. Da, 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 da. She's like, it's great. Like, you should come visit. So that was just like a fantasy. And then within Sephora, there you did this. I don't even know what it was called, but it was basically this like summit. And they chose like eight beauty studio captains in the U.S. to go to New York. And they held us up at the Gansevoort. And we did this whole training with Tom show and like all these really beautiful models at Chelsea Piers. And it was like such a moment in my life. I was like, I need this. Like I need more. Like I need to be like Tom show I need to be a makeup artist of this caliber. Like what am I doing at Sephora? So during that trip, I I remember like calling my mom, like crying. I was like, mom, I'm moving to New York. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's happening. Just I was, no. I'm Literally four months later, I packed my shit and I moved to New York. And at that time, I was with a boyfriend and I told him, I was like, I'm moving to New York. Like, I don't expect you to come and he wanted to come. So it was really cute. In retrospect, in hindsight, like I shouldn't have let him come because it didn't last. But we packed our stuff. Four months later, we moved to New York and I started assisting the same woman, Christina, in New York. So it was, it was really great because I relocated my Sephora to the meatpacking district Sephora. So I'd have like a bread and butter. A job. Yeah. I was going to ask. I was like, so you moved to New York. How? <laughs> yeah. Well, literally, Love it. Right. I had a thousand dollars and a thousand dollars. And I was like, I'm going to figure it out. It's going to yeah. be great. And yeah. So I remember my dad because he has that very traditional classic style about him he was like you have no business living in Manhattan he's like you're not going to make any money like he was just such a like like and it hurt and I want to prove it to him yeah which is also kind of a gift if you look at it like in rear view probably you're like you know I gotta prove it wrong oh when you're going through it you're like just support me (laughs) yeah yes yes and it's definitely like as a parent it's a learning It's a learning experience because I know that my dad came from a good place with all that, 
but also I want to tell Leo, like, you can do whatever you want to do. You just mm-hmm. have the best There's a way. Yeah. Yeah. The way you just, even if you want to sell ice cream, you got to be the best ice cream maker in Southern California or in the world or whatever. But anyway, so moved to New York, started working at the meatpacking district Sephora until I really, you know, started growing in my career. And I, with the jobs with Christina were insane. Like there were some set jobs quickly after I started working on set, which was pretty much all of her gigs. I realized that I hate being on set. Because it's a lot of, you know, you've been on so many times. It's a lot of like, hurry up and wait. Yeah. The attention span of a nerd. So I wanted to be, you know, doing my craft the entire time. I didn't want to just like be sitting around, like eating crafty, like. Yeah. Well, and what's so funny, I mean, at least in my experience on most sets, it's like makeup is so crucial to the final product, my makeup Mm -hmm. and hair. I mean, everything is crucial. I think that's the cool thing about sets is that it's like so many people have to come together to make something good. But I feel like sometimes I would hear directors be like, actually, um, you know, they'd tell you to like do a smoky eye. And they're like, actually, we want like a really clean look yeah. um, for this next one. And they didn't really understand. It's like, okay, that means you have yeah. to like everything. Like, yeah. and that, has, that takes time. And we got to do the skin again and do the whole thing. I mean, as a model, you're just kind of sitting there like, oh, like that sounds yeah. like it's going to be hard. But it's like, there's not really like an understanding necessarily of like how much time it takes for a makeup artist. So it would be a lot of like, yeah, hurry up. Like we need this done in five minutes. And then just like kind of nothing for a little while. And then we're like, we're actually going to change direction and like redo everything you just did. I've worked with some really amazing makeup artists. And one thing I always admired was like just the patience. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, (laughs) you know, most of the time. Um, But you could see when it was uh, really, really challenging to to kind of do that job. So I respect. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so quickly I realized that I probably wasn't going to work on the movies because I just I didn't have a passion for the 12 hour days. I really liked more event style makeup. Um, I loved working with like more celebrity type clients, even though they're so difficult and they're all yes. entire time and you're just like a peasant little helper. I just loved like seeing my work come to fruition. So that was kind of when I realized, okay, I don't want to join the union. I definitely want to do more like red carpet style makeup. There's been some crazy times when I was assisting Christina, got kicked off set. Crazy people with huge egos, you know. Most of the time, everybody's great in production and on set. But, you know, there's there's some big egos sometimes. Yeah. And and like power. Yeah. It's just like power dynamics sometimes. And it's like, I'm just going to do this because I can. Or like, we're just going to scrap this whole thing and start out like a lot of, I mean, creative. I've gone back and forth between creative and more like traditional workplaces. And it's really shocking the amount of difference just in in terms of like what goes when in a creative world, it's like you just have to kind of be, I don't know, so much more flies in terms of like what's appropriate or not. And I think, I mean, we've seen it all in the in the media, like, you know, that leads to a lot of issues in other ways. But even just like when it comes to like, what is a normal amount of time for like people to be working in one day? Mm-hmm. You know, I would have all times at like midnight sometimes because you have to work through the night and like shoot before the sun came up. There is no questioning it. You just have to do that. So yeah, I can definitely understand that. So tell us a little bit about how you transition to more like events and red carpet and that kind of makeup. More so that took off after I moved back to L.A. So when I was in New York, after my makeup, you know, my makeup career with Christina started taking off and then I started doing my own solo projects and this, that. And the other thing, I was like, okay, I still need a little side hustle. So I got a bartending slash cocktail serving job in Goldman Alley, which crazy place to cocktail serve because it's like... There's this little alley in Battery Park and it's like Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, and there's one other bank. I forget which one, but like you're there with all the suits basically. So yeah. they come in here, the things that you see, Asha. It's like they would come in with their kids on a Wednesday and then Thursday, the next day, they're there for a company happy hour. They're like wits like a call girl. Yeah. I was like, how does that even like happen? Anyways. Yeah. So that was my side hustle and I would, you know, open the bar at 4.30 and close it down at 2 a.m. And then 
I would work on Good Morning America or we would do like some crazy like 5.30 a.m. cold time for like some news spot. So that happened. And then I met up with these two guys who actually came into the bar and one of them complimented my eyebrows. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, I'm a makeup artist. I always would like, you know, pitch myself because you just know. I thought this guy was gay because he was so beautiful and so polished, like, like literally like a Greek statue. Yeah. His name was Giovanni Vaccaro. He's one of the founders of Glam Squad, the app. Wow. Anyways, so him and this man, Dave, who was the COO at the time, I don't know where he's at now, but they were like, oh, we're starting this um, company called Glam Squad. It's an app. And I was like, that's weird. This is like pre-apps before yeah. app. we even like knew about any of that stuff. And I was like, that's weird. But like, why not go interview? So mm-hmm. two days later, I went into interview and I did um, a makeup trial with this woman, Kelly, who was she was the creative director of makeup artistry of the company. And I was the third makeup artist hired within Glam Squad. So yeah. After I started with Glam Squad, they connected me to a lot of really great people. So we worked with some really good celebrities with them. And since I was the third makeup artist in the company, it was basically us like running around. You know, all the owners basically were super well connected. So they'd send us to do makeup for, you know, that's how I linked up with Gwyneth Paltrow. Anyways, so after that started taking off, they were about to launch the L.A. market and they knew I was from California. And I always wanted to make my way back because I love California, obviously. But they brought me back out to California to launch the L.A. market. And I built the team from zero to 60, which was insane. And literally zero to 60 (laughs) in zero to 60. (laughs) Zero to 60. And then when I went to L.A., that's really when like the red carpet stuff took off because there's no red carpet like L.A. Exactly. And because I was, you know, the lead makeup artist there, I got first dibs on all the best clients, which was such a blessing in my career and um, for my portfolio as well. That's so cool. I remember, I mean, I've worked with like a lot of great makeup artists. One was Bruce Grayson. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was one of the guys like when I was modeling, he was working tons of red carpet and he would do like the Oscars and all that stuff. And he's, it was like the Olympics. You'd talk about like this time of year and there are the different award shows and like different premieres that would happen and stuff. And just like picking his brain, I was just like, wow, this is like a whole thing. And like prepping his kit mm-hmm. for different seasons and like knowing like the different looks and like strategies for different people's faces. I was like, this is truly like art and science and business though, to be able to like manage because with that kind of creative, you know, schedule and like all the demands of being a creative it takes a special kind of person to be successful in that space because you eventually, you know, you have to figure out like, okay, what, what makes sense for me on a, from a business perspective? Like how much am I doing to build my book? How am I doing, how much am I doing to like keep my lights on during that time? How were you kind of like balancing, taking like big steps and taking opportunities that maybe didn't always like pay well versus like keeping your finances in order and stuff? Yeah, I think definitely, and I say this to all of the girls who work for me now, especially the more greener girls who are just kind of starting out. I know we live in a time right now where you need to set boundaries and say no and all of this, but I really feel so strongly because I have built myself this way. You have to say yes to everything. You have to work your ass off and that it's what it takes. That's what it takes. And especially people who are trying to make it in this industry, whether you're an actress or a model or a makeup artist or hairstylist, whatever, you have to understand the ebbs and flows of the business as well. There were so many times I was like ready to throw the towel in because I was like, am I even good? You know, you the self-doubt starts creeping in the imposter syndrome. You're like, what am I doing? And, you know, you're struggling to make your your rent, basically. But the more you say yes and the more you you do, it just, I don't know, it just somehow the universe comes together for you and just it all works out. So I feel very strongly about people who are just starting in their career. Yes, it's good to say no once you have established yourself and you can set those boundaries, but you need to earn that right to set those boundaries. I think 
in this day and age, people are a little soft and, you know, do you, but you need to work hard. So I feel super passionate about that. I think that's really good advice because, you know, we, and we talk about this too. It's like, yeah, like it's awesome that everyone's into like self-care and stuff. And like, it's true, like build taking care of yourself into your life. But it's true. It's like, if you want to be great at something and you want to have like the cred of being great at something and the, you know, the ultimate or eventual, you know, choice and flexibility and power over your career, like there has got to be a time period where it's like, you've got to prioritize that thing you're trying to work on and grow in over some of your comforts. Right. It's like, it's just how, and it's like, if you, if you can't do that, you probably won't have that level of success and that's okay too. But it's like the two things don't go hand in hand often, especially in a career like this, where it's like, you're making something, you know, it's, it's, you're not following someone else's path. Like every path in a creative industry looks different. So it's like, no one's going to give you like, oh, you won this, you know, corporate award or whatever for your milestones in your career. Like you're paving your own way from the beginning. Yeah. No, it's, it's so important. It's so, so important. You can work your way up to saying no and having boundaries, but like you said, you are paving your own way. So you need to make a name for yourself. During that time, so I know you eventually, you know, obviously you got noticed for your brows. When did you kind of start leaning into the brow industry? Yeah. So 2014, I was starting to get a little stagnant and I love Glam Squad and I'm so appreciative for everything that they did for me and all the connections that I made along the way with that path. But I wasn't getting to do what I loved anymore, which was makeup. Because Kelly, who I love, by the way, bless you, Kelly, but she was the creative director of makeup artistry and she got to call all the shots on all of the creative inspiration, which was where my heart was, where my passion lied. And I was becoming more like admin, managerial. I'm like, why am I doing spreadsheets? Like I went to two semesters of community college. Like this is not my strong suit and I know what I'm passionate about. So 2014 came, I had a meeting with my bosses and I let them know how I was feeling. And, you know, they tried to keep me and, you know, they did the carrots and it lasted for about six months. And I just, I realized like, I need to make a move. I need to make a move. I need to bless and release Glam Squad. So left on really great terms. But I decided to, you know, make the leap and just go 100% on my own in L.A. And I told myself I want to work on a TV show. That was my thing. I really want to work on a TV show. And when I was going out on my own, I decided to get another side hustle. So I was like, okay, I've been down this road so many times before. I need a side hustle. I need bread and butter. I'm going to look into something. What am I going to do? I started seeing microblading. This was brand new, fresh mm-hmm. on the spot, 2014, end of 2014. Nobody really knew about it yet. And when I saw it, I'll never forget, it was the artist Roxanne Chris, who I love and she's so talented. She started posting about it. And I was like, what is this? Is this, is this hair? Is this tattoo? I'm so intrigued. And I found out what it was. It was something called microblading. I found a shitty school in Pico Robertson called Elite Permanent Makeup. Yeah. Anyways, that's (laughs) But I found this school and I decided to take a chance on myself. I'll never forget. It was $2,500. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? It's $2,500. I called my dad. And I'll never forget this. This is the first time because I had already proven to my dad, like, okay, maybe she is following her passion and maybe it is going to pay off for her he gave me the advice and he was like you know you you've done everything that you said you were going to do like you have the most follow-through from anybody that I know and if you do this I know that it will pay off even though it's a lot of money like take a chance on yourself and that was so unlike my dad and because he said that to me I decided to do it and Yeah, I'm so glad that I did because within that year, 2015, I went to permanent makeup school. Microblading took off for me within that year. And then I started working on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills as the makeup artist for Teddy. 
So that first year was absolutely insane. And the, one of the most fun times of my life, like I have so many good memories and I love Teddy and I just, I'm so thankful for her bringing me on as her full-time makeup artist. So yeah, so that took off. And when I first got my first microblading place, it was disturbing, Kasha. It was at this place in on facts and uh-huh. it was called Monocle Tattoo because there were all these different things back then with uh, microblading. You had to have a body art permit, which you still do. Normal salons didn't have those. So you either had to pay for your own health permit, which like you had to submit plans to the city, like yeah. you, or you work at a tattoo shop. So I was like, I'm not there yet. I'm going to just find a tattoo shop and like work at a t- tattoo shop. It was like a hot mess. It was like right next to an HIV clinic. Oh, no. And I just thought this was like a little, you know, just a little hobby almost. I didn't think it was going to turn into anything. And then because nobody knew about it and I had this team of 60 makeup artists who I hired and trained myself, what I did was I told all of them, hey, I'm doing this new thing. Do you guys want to come in? I'll offer it to you for $100, $200, whatever it was. I think it was $200. Maybe it was 100 You come in. I'll do you for dirt cheap, two sessions. And you just have to be like my marketing. Because they're still working at Glam Squad. They're seeing yeah. 30 clients a week. They're going to be my billboard, you know, out there in LA telling everybody about what they just got so done. Smart. It was the best thing I ever did because... Within that year, it just took off. And I'll never forget, I had one like fancy Beverly Hills lady who heard about me from one of the Glam Squad artists. And she came to this tattoo shop and she was like, I can't get my touch up here. Like she was like, I can't come back here. And like, I was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And then I moved into the Phoenix Salon Suites across from Kat Von D's tattoo. Yep. I know right where that is. Yep. And that was where I stayed for a while. And then... People wanted to start, girls from Glam Squad wanted to do it as well, wanted to work with me. So I decided to open my first salon, 2017. Amazing. Well, I love how, I mean, I love hearing how you kind of like got into the microblading thing. Just like keeping, honestly, it's just what struck me is that you're just listening. And to go back, you said something about when you were leaving at Glam Squad, you said, I just needed to bless and release I think he said and I was like I love that thought because it's such a nice way to kind of think that it's like okay it's time for me to just literally bless and release like let it go be grateful for it like no burning bridges it was not a mistake you know but it's just like okay like we're moving we're moving through it and just listening and you're like oh this thing is new and I, I think that you know you hear all these success stories of people that were like, oh, maybe like that stock is going to take off. Or like, what is this Apple iPod? <laughs> you know? And it's like just paying attention to like, is this new thing that it's kind of interesting to me? And like, let's just like, let's take a bite. Let's see where it goes. And then that super smart piece of just being like, listen, these faces are literally walking billboards. And microblading has such a cool look to it. I think that like, if you're looking for it, you can kind of tell when someone's had it done, but you can't really like, I don't know. I think you can tell when someone's brows look good, mm-hmm. you know, and then people ask about it. It's just like such, such a great way to market yourself without having to yeah. have it just be like, oh, I'm putting out an ad or, you know, sharing my website. Yeah. So you obviously have such a great brand. Harry Little Things is so cute. It's so catchy. It's so memorable. And your branding is so like snatched. It's so good. So can you tell us a little bit about like did that start right when you opened your salon? How did you sort of develop the brand? Yeah. So in 2017, when I decided to get my own salon, I was like, what am I going to name it? That was what I was stuck on. I was like, this is going to be like the first thing. It needs to be something I'm catching because um, I love Glam Squad, but I always thought their name was so corny. Sorry, mm-hmm. but I thought it was so corny. And I just wanted something fun because that's just my personality. I'm just like fun and goofy. I never take myself too seriously. And I was literally just joking around. Like, I'm going to name it Harry Little Things. Like, it was a joke. And I remember I had this like notes note on my notes app on my phone. And I had all these things. And Harry just kept coming back to me. And then I just kind of wanted to do a play on it. Like, because it's such an odd name. It's so cheeky. I wanted to make it super girly branding. 
but also with like a little edge to it. So the more I started like fantasizing about the brand, it just made way more sense. And all that I was talking to my mother-in-law and she was like, don't you dare name it uh, Harry Little Things. <laughs> she was like, I've been, she's also half Italian, half Mexican. And, and she's like, I used to get teased in school for being a hairy little thing. So we would laugh about it and joke about it. But I just, I liked the fact that it was eye-catching and that I could do the play on it with super pink, super girly, you know, with a little bit more of like a rough around the edges name. But I feel like it's so cute and cheeky and it's eye-catching. Well, and it kind of goes with like the feeling of like the look, your brow fluff look is a lot more it's a little bit untamed a little bit more natural like it obviously looks it's it's done in that it looks good you know it frames the face so it's like it's shaped but it's also there's a little bit of like wildness to a good brow the way that you've done them so I think that that's a totally I think that you were able to identify what was different about your approach and then you kind of tied everything back to that feeling of being like good but a little wild you know and a little fun and and a little bit different on the edge and 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 different from what was before which i like your slogan about like where 90s brows go to die it really is it's like that's not the look you're going to get here and it's it's clear it's like if someone's coming to you for their brows like they're coming for your signature look applied in the like personalization of what works for their face you know absolutely so good so i mean you have two additional salons now mm-hmm. you have many employees, girls working for you. You do trainings. Tell us a little bit about like that expansion and even what's sort of coming next for you. I don't want to say too much because nothing is definitive yet, but we are definitely looking at some really exciting things happening in 2024, hopefully early 2024, potentially two new locations. But yeah, sky's the limit. Definitely some product coming soon. I'm excited. I'm excited. But nothing is set in stone yet. So I don't want to be taboo. And, you know, I love it. Well, I'll be cheering for you. And I know that like sky's just the limit. I think it's so cool too to have seen you. You know, you started a family alongside this. So it's like basically you open your salon not too far later. You know, you're you're starting a family. When did you get married in this in this process? When did your husband kind of come into the scene? So I met Vince in 2017. So when I opened my first salon, I had already been doing microblading. I met Vince 2017 at Coachella. We got married 2020. We had our son 2021. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's so cool how things have just come together. And, you know, I love talking with you about becoming a mom too, because you you do sound like such a thoughtful mom you know you put so much creativity into being a mom too so i'm excited for our audience to continue to follow what you're doing and hopefully go get their brows done by you and hopefully they can do that in a in a location near them soon we like to kind of wrap up our show with fast five we do like fast five questions just say whatever comes to mind but you can also elaborate if you want to um so i'm going to hop into that So for the first one, if you have five minutes to get ready in the morning, what are you doing? I am doing a tinted SPF, Babo Botanicals, which is actually a baby line. I'm obsessed with that tinted SPF. It's mineral-based, non-comedogenic, and, you know, there's none of the chemical sunscreen in it, which, you know, as we know, are hormone disruptors. That's number one. Number two is obviously a tinted brow gel. That is my go-to. And number three, I'm doing a Makeup by Mario Hue Lip Liner. What is like the tinted brow gel that you use? Is it one of the ones that looks like that little mini mascara? Yep, exactly. The Kush Brow by Milk Makeup. I use the color Dutch. But if I'm doing pencil, sometimes I actually like the Refi Brow Gel as well. But that one is clear. But I have to be doing a brow pencil with that one because I need like the little extra Exactly. Oh. Kind of like little little tint. Exactly. So good. I know. I love the specifics. They're best. Number two, what is the most difficult part of owning your own brick and mortar businesses? Um, managing the girls. I feel like creatives are crazy and wrangling 13 girls is sometimes a nightmare and a headache. I love all of them so much, but it's a lot of personalities under one roof. 
And I love them all dearly, but sometimes it's like dealing with 13 teenage girls on their periods. I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs that have like brick and mortar businesses, that's the same answer for almost everybody. It's like, it's the managing of the people that work for me (laughs) in the best way. Like you find talented people, but that's the job. Number three, what do you look for in the people that you work with and for? I look for that special something. Like I always hire for personality and spark and train the rest. Obviously, they need like a baseline of some sort of like foundational practice. But I look for somebody that lights up a room who has great personality. Yeah, I just all of my girls are so special. And each and every one of them has this like charisma about them. And they're all so different. And I just I love that it's they all work together and complement each other so nicely, but everybody is their own person. I love it. I was just thinking like everyone says like your brows are, what do people say? Like they're sisters, not twins. <laughs> I'm like, it's like all the people that you that work with you too. Yeah. They all have it's, a thing in common, but they're not twins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. Number four, um, what is your favorite thing to do to like energize yourself or to change your attitude? Working out. I am a workout junkie. I love getting my butt kicked in the gym. And for me, I have so much going on. I live in my head sometimes, and that is my least favorite thing about myself. But when I'm working out, I am focused on my body, how I feel, my breathing. And I just, I feel the most alive when I feel my heart pounding, when I'm pushing myself to the limits. And when I'm in that discomfort, I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about my marriage or being a mom or anything else. I'm just being present. And sadly, that's really the only time that of my day that I can just be truly present. So definitely working out. I can totally relate to that. What's your workout of choice? Like, what's your favorite? I love Pilates. I love Legree Pilates. Um, I love my trainer, Hugh, at Moxie. He literally kicks my ass. I go to him two times a week for booty. And I just love walks as well. I love hiking. I love running. I'm not good at it, but I love it. Just getting outdoors is always, you know, amazing. I love it. Movement. Yeah. And last, what is next in your personal life? Is there anything outside of business that you're really excited for? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely starting to try. We started trying two months ago. So we're definitely looking at a little addition to our family. And even though it's going to be absolute chaos, I'm like super excited to just build our family and give Leo a little sibling. Well, your new little love will be lucky to have you as a mom. I'll wrap up with our final question. I feel like we could just chat for hours. But our final question is always, what was something about yourself when you were young that maybe you didn't appreciate during that time? But when you look back on yourself, what is what's something that you really appreciate now? I think just being different. Like I always felt a little different. I remember, you know, when you're a kid, kids are mean. And like even my best friends would like call me out for things. And when you're a kid and you don't have confidence, you get kind of embarrassed about it. And it's like things that I still remember to this day that like made me feel weird or made me feel, you know, different. And now I just, I love it. I embrace it. I let my freak flag fly. I am a weird through and through. Hence why the name Harry Little Things. And I just, I don't know. I feel like now it's my superpower because I just lean into it. That's one of the biggest things that we coach our girls in, in our workshops. It's always like what you think makes you weird and different now, whatever that thing is, whether you get teased for it, whatever it is, is going to be the thing that drives your success. It will literally be your saving grace. I love that point. And you are such a testament to that. So Alexandria Caparelli, thank you so much for joining us today. We can't wait for our listeners to to continue to follow your journey. Where can they find you? Shout yourself out on yeah. socials, website, everything. Instagram at Harry Little Things or at Alexandria Caparelli, Alexandria with an I. Also TikTok, Alexandria Caparelli. And you can check out our website at harrylittlethings.com. Perfect. We'll be linking that in our show notes. Thank you so much, Alex. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. And that's our show. 
If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?